Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Thank you so much for forgiving. I want you to locate Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 in your Bible. That's the most difficult one you'll ever experience of me asking you to find it in your Bible. It's, it's real easy, actually. Psalm 1, 1, the first verse of the first chapter of the book of Psalms. You, and if you have a paper Bible, which it's always fun to have the paper Bible, just go, go to your Bible, open it up right to the middle, and you should open it up to the book of Psalms. So find Psalm 1, 1. While you're doing that, uh, Tim at 12 continues this uh, this week. We had some technical problems, no surprise, with with my camera that I was in order to shoot the Tim at 12, but all that's fixed now. And so I we were running some best of for a few weeks. But this week, I'm back on Tim at 12 uh, with the series called Demolishing Lazy Christianity. And and, uh, this is about 12 different things that believers should be doing, actively doing in their lives, which which are really attitudes and and really kind of just just their outlook in life that, that will help believers to move through these challenging times that we're walking through right now. So I'm starting a new series today, a new four week series called The Growth challenge, the growth challenge. And I'm going to issue you over the next few weeks, a four part challenge, a four part challenge. And it's to intentionally grow in four different ways. And they might be a little different than what you think, but, but I'm going to challenge you in them anyway. Uh, the, the, the scripture tells us that if you're growing, that you're blessed. I'll say that again. If you're growing, you're blessed. Uh, the book of Psalms, is divided into different sections. It's a brilliantly organized uh, book. Sometimes we think that, well, the book of Psalms just kind of threw all these songs in there. They're not organized. Actually, they're organized brilliantly uh, into various sections, and each of the Psalms in each of those sections are organized. And if you read Psalm 1, which we're looking at today, and then you read Psalm 150, you are actually going to get the theme. They're like the bookends of Psalms. You actually get the theme of the entire book of Psalms. All of them, you catch the theme of it, when you look at Psalm 1 and Psalm 150. So if you want to know what Psalms is about, you read the bookends. Today we're going to look at part of the bookends, and we're going to look at the very beginning. So this is the very first Psalm, the very first words of the first Psalm. And, uh, and so, so we're, we're going to take a look at this, and, 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 uh, and we're, this helps us to get a picture not only of Psalms, but of something that is significant for our lives, and it's about growth. Take a look at it in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to look through all the way through the end, through uh, verse 3. It says, blessed is the one. There's that word about blessing, okay? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Two really interesting words that I see in there are blessed and prospers. Those are kind of like even the bookends of that little section right there. And uh, I'll just, let me make this clear. Hell does not want you to be blessed. Hell does not want you to prosper. Uh, In fact, Hell wants you to do everything that is the opposite of what is written here in these first three uh, verses of of Psalm chapter 1. 
And, and the, the, the imagery that's given to us here is a tree. Now, what do trees do? Trees, it's just speaking of a fruit tree, trees grow and produce fruit, and, but they have to be healthy and, and, uh, and they have to be watered. Well, it's the same with us. So there's this parallel that's being made here. Uh, we're, we're kind of like trees. When we're being watered and we're, we're healthy, we're going to produce fruit. <clears throat> so this comes back to this original uh, a statement here, and I'm going to share with you several statements in here about this whole concept of growth before we even get into the, the guts of this series. First of all, growing people are blessed. Write that down. Write that down. Growing people are blessed. In fact, that word blessed, I looked at it like in the Old Testament, that particular word blessed is found 287 times, and the meaning of that word just simply means happy. It just means happy. Growing people are just happy people. They're blessed people. And so I'm challenging you to grow. And if you've had trouble just having joy and being happy, well, I'll tell you what, as you grow, you're going to be blessed. You're going to find yourself even more happy. Second point here is growing people are distinct from the world. Growing people are distinct from the world. Now, again, I'm going to look at this passage. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Let's break that down real quick. These are three broad categories of activities that actually can separate you from the world so that you're blessed. One is walking, uh, if you're walking in step with wicked people and you're doing what, what they're doing, then you're not going to be blessed because Growing people don't walk in step with the wicked. In other words, you're not just following their ways, doing what the wicked people do. Second is standing in the way of sinners. That word way speaks of a, of a road or a path. And it represents how people kind of just go along and do their business. It would be their habits or their ideas or just their, their ways of thinking and the way they approach business, the way they approach life. So, so really, growing people don't do business the way that sinners do. That's what the scripture is saying here. And, it's, and the, the next category is, no, nor are you uh, sitting in the company of mockers. In one of your versions of the Bible, it may say scoffers. Uh, but growing people, they're not the ones who are constantly agitating and mocking and scoffing and boasting, arrogantly setting themselves above other, above other people. So when you're doing those things, what happens is, is uh, you you're actually begin to stunt your growth. Okay, so here's the next principle. Here it is. Growing people delight in God's word. Write that down. Growing people delight in God's word. Scripture says, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord would have been the scriptures. That's the Old Testament. That's what they call it, the law, the scriptures. And who meditates on his law or who meditates on the scriptures day and night. So that means you read the Bible. You study the Bible. I tell you, there are a lot of good books out there about the Bible, and I like them, but I don't love them as much as I do the Bible. And I'm all for the good books about the Bible. But, but you know what? The Bible is the one that is your fuel for growth. I challenge every single believer, every person who's a part of this church, read through the Bible in a year. Continue to find a way to read through the Bible in a year. I've taken, I've taken the personal challenge this year, reading through it four times this year, and it's not been easy at all. But, but, uh, but I've, I've taken that challenge myself because 
I, I love the word so much. And I wanted to get to the end of this year and see how has it affected my mindset to constantly be in the scriptures. But I challenge you to grow. The Bible, the word of God is your fuel for growth. And when you delight in it, when you contemplate on God's word, that is your fuel for growth. And here's the next one. Growing people's lives produce fruit. Now, this is just a statement of fact. If you're growing, you're going to produce fruit. Because it says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. So, so you're, you're planted in these streams of water. And the reason you're planted in the streams of water is because of what was already said there. You are distinct and you're separate from the ways of the world. You're delighting yourself in God, which now means you are a fruit producer. See, a growing person bears fruit. And what happens is then other people are going to be attracted to your life because of the fruits you bear. You're simply going to be more attractive. Now, it has nothing to do with physical appearance. It has everything to do with the, uh, with, with the, the fruit that you're bearing. You're, you're going to have this fragrance about yourself, and people will come, and they'll receive from you, and you don't even feel like you're giving because you're flourishing. You exude that, that spiritual fruit. People are just simply going to feel better when they're around you, and they're getting blessed by spending time with you, and you're getting blessed by it as well. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So growing people's lives produce fruit. Here's another principle as well. Growing people do not burn out or dry up. They do not burn out or dry up. Okay, again, it says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither. <clears throat> Let me be clear with you. I'm a pretty active person, but I have never burned out. Truth is, I've been exhausted. I've been weary but I have never burned out. And many times it's like well-intentioned people have warned me, ah, Tim or Pastor Tim, you're going to get burned out. You're going to get burned out. I was like, no, don't stop speaking that over me. I'm not going to get burned out. I never have been. And Rebecca, you would know this all too well. There would be plenty of times when I could have just said I'm burned out. But there have been times I've been weary or, or exhausted. But never, never have I been burned out. Why? It's because I believe this. If you're growing... You're not going to be burned out. That's what it says literally here in the scripture. That's why this growth challenge that I'm giving to you over these next four weeks is so important. You don't have to be dry. You don't have to be crusty. You don't have to be burned up or burned out. I want you to get into growth mode. I want you to get back into growth mode. And these four principles that I'm sharing with you, I believe are going to be fuel for that, for you. Uh, and and it, it's going to benefit your life in a wonderful way, as well as our local body, our church. And the final principle is this, is growing people prosper. Whatever he does prospers is what that, the last part of that scripture says. To prosper simply means to be successful, to succeed. You succeed, though, why? Because you are growing. So that's why I'm passionate about growth, and I, I, I want you to be as well. I, I don't want to remain the same. I don't want to be the same way I was a year ago. And I've always said this, but I really hope that if you know me one year from now, you're going to say that Tim of today, which would be you know, September 11, 2023, is different than he was a year ago. What is that about him? Well, I hope you will feel that way because I am continually growing, and I don't want to, I don't want to be the same. And that would actually be the best compliment you could ever give me. I don't, I don't want to live my life static. I don't want to float through life. 
I want to be in this position of, of, uh, of moving forward and not having to be constantly on the defensive, reacting to everything that happens in my life. I want to be producing fruit. I want to be changing. I want God and his word and his people to influence my life. And I want you to grow. I really do. I challenge you to get into growth mode. Remember this, hell doesn't want you to grow at all. Uh, There's the lure of the world. There's uh, preoccupation with meaningless activity or even inactivity and submersion and and just self-serving activities that have nothing to do with even any kind of blessing anywhere else. It's just all about yourself. And that's actually the purpose of stagnancy. You see, some people, they they feel like, well, if I just take some time off or I can just have some downtime, if I can just just be away for a little while, I'm going to be a whole lot better. And then they find out that they're not all better after that is all over with because everything that even happened during the downtime was all self-oriented and it, and it does collapse on us. The Word of God gives us a different way of doing things. And that's what we're talking about over these next few weeks. So challenges, take the growth challenge. Take it. Uh, how are you going to do that? Well, pretty simple is just be in church for the next four weeks. Just, just be here. No excuses. Don't, don't, don't give me any excuses. Take, take a personal interest in finding ways to grow in the four different areas that I'm giving you. And, and it's interesting because these four areas that I'm giving you correspond directly with the four core values of City Life Church. Now, our core values have been around since the very beginning of this church, and we have, and we recently, uh, we we just very recently we took those core values back in uh, back in February, and we looked at them, and we assessed them, and we tweaked them just a tiny bit, and they're not any significant change at all. But every every once in a while, you have to go back and you change this. So a group of leaders came together on some Saturdays and worked on that, and and uh, and. And so I'm excited. I, I thrive on the values of our church because they're not just the values of our church. They're the values of us as people. You see, because the church is made up by people. It's, it's people who make up the church. So yeah, like, like with the church, we can have our values put up on the wall. These are our values. But if you don't live them out, if I don't live them out, then it's just ridiculous stuff on the wall. It actually has a very deep personal application. And that's actually what I'm talking about over these four weeks. So the title of today's message, I'm ready to get into the message now. That was, that was, the, uh, that was the introduction to the series. Some of you are going, are we ready to go home? No, not yet, not yet, not yet. The title of today's message is Growing Generational Legacy. And, and this, is, this is about passing on uh, life events, activities, your, your wisdom, your friendship, your knowledge to other people who are younger than you. It's a challenge for you as a person to, to grow um, and to help other people to grow and to, and to take upon themselves your values and to fuel and equip the potential of the next generation. So the time is now, and this is regardless of your age, because it does not matter what your age is, your physical age. This applies to every single one of us. I'll give you a little example. For me, at the age of 13, I was uh, in the church that my father was pastoring in Harlingen, Texas, and uh, loved living down there in Harlingen, because when I finally got a car, man, I was out at the beach all the time, South Padre Island is of God, except when hurricanes come. But, man, I loved it. I loved it. out. I loved being down there. But when I was 13 years old, I remember clearly the day when I was sitting in a service and my dad's, dad's dad, my dad was preaching. And it was, it was a good sermon, I'm sure, but I don't even remember the sermon. I remember what happened to me. And, and it was kind of a Holy Spirit moment, which really set my life on a trajectory that has never changed. 
But in that moment, and see, that's, that's how God speaks to you in, in church services. What happened to me may have not have had anything to do with the sermon, but it happened to me. Because when you're in the presence of God, God speaks to you. And, and, and I just started looking around. I was sitting up on the second row of the church and sitting up there with three or four of my friends and, and just kind of looked around. And I, just, I saw a lot of children in there. And you could hear the children's chatter every once in a while. And I remember kind of looking around like, these kids are bored. I mean, they're bored. My, they're, they're, they are not into my dad's sermon. And, and, and I, I thought, There's, someone needs to do something about this. So, so that Sunday after church that afternoon, I went and talked to my mom and my dad. Again, 13 years old, I said, said you know, something needs to happen here with the children. We need something for children, for children's ministry. And my, my, my dad said, okay, well, you can do one. I was like, what, me? Me? I'm 13. Yeah, you just, just do it. So okay, and, and I, I got some materials, figured some things out. I got my mom's help because she had done children's ministry in the past, and, and I just started a children's ministry. I built a puppet stage. Remember the days of puppets? Oh, my word. There, I, we built a puppet stage and had, had so much fun with it and, and had these services over in what was called the fellowship hall. Remember y'all, y'all remember the days of the fellowship hall? Yeah, that was actually in a separate building, so we'd go over to the fellowship hall, and the children would go over there. And I started my own children's ministry and, and ran it and ran it for years after that. And, and it was a Personally, it was a powerful experience, but th- that, that was in me. So when I went off to college to study to be a pastor, I found a church, and I was like, What's the ne- what are some of the needs in this church? And the people said, well, the greatest need is probably children's ministry. I'm like, well, here we go again. Now, I'll just tell you this. I never, I never had the calling to be a children's pastor. I ne- never, never really felt like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. No, I didn't. there was a need. There was a need, and, and uh, I'm going to step up and do it. So jumped in there and, and started serving in children's ministry, started serving in a, in, in a five-year-old boy's Sunday school class. Whoa, I'll never forget that. I, some of you heard the story. Me and my college roommate, we, we were going to volunteer in children's ministry. This is, a, this is a large church, understand. And uh, we showed up to observe the Sunday school class one Sunday morning, and the teacher literally said, oh, good, you're my replacement. So glad to see you. Handed us a teacher's book and left. That's all we got to observe right there. I don't even remember that. I don't even know who she is or where she is today, but wow. And so we walked in there, and some of you said, well, I feel like I just got thrown into ministry. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And so, so I, we were thrown into there, and, and man, understand this. We started counting the, the children in that class. It was five-year-old boys. God is my witness. There were 40 of them in that Sunday school class. Me and my roommate. And we didn't know what to do. It's like, okay, kids. They just look at us like, who are you, teacher? I don't, I don't know. And they had all of this energy, and they would run and run in circles. There were these tables that were in the middle of this room, and, and uh, it was a big classroom, probably about half the size of this room. It was a huge classroom. And the boys would just run in circles, run and run and run. I just would just sit down at the table with my roommate. I was like, what do we do? Like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. We got to figure this out. Next week, you got to have a, have a plan. But we did. In fact, after that, I found myself doing the children's church also. In fact, after three and a half years of doing all of that, I found myself on the staff of the church. And I was, I was actually the youngest uh, staff pastor that was ever hired there. They're like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's willing to do it. So, you know, let's hire him. So I, but. I just simply dove in to do it. 
And then I became a father, and I realized the, the power of investing in people who were younger than me through that. As a children's pastor, I remember taking a lot of teenagers, teenage boys, and, and these were boys who maybe they didn't fit in somewhere else in the church, and I'd involve them in the children's ministry. I taught them how to run soundboards, even though I still don't know. They, I still acted like I knew, and they learned more than me. I taught them how to run the lights. I taught them how to, how to do all kinds of ministries uh, in, in the children's ministry, and those so many of those boys are, are actually friends with me today. And they've over and over expressed their gratitude to me for just simply being there, for just simply involving them in the process. I invested in them. I poured my heart into them. I still believe in that. In fact, I just, just wrapped up a, 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 young, a young men's discipleship group here in this church. It's kind of interesting because the older you get, the, the, the older the young people, younger people are. But it was a younger men's discipleship group around for several weeks and, and just wrapped it up, finished it up a few weeks ago. But, but uh, what was it about this attitude that God instilled in my heart? I, I believe God instilled it there. It was this, is I'm going to go over and above and beyond what's expected or asked of me. I'm going to do it with my children. I'm going to do it with, uh, in the church. I'm going to do it in the community. I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm not just going to do whatever. And I'm going to make sure that I'm somehow investing in people who are younger than me. So let's th- I want us to think about the term legacy. Think about the term legacy. What kind of legacy do you desire? Do you want a huge legacy or a small one, a positive one, or a negative one. And we all need to think about it, again, regardless of where you are in life. And I'm not talking about a legacy like a business, a movie, or a product, or something of that nature, even a position of influence. History is full of great stuff like that, and, and I, I understand that it exists. I mean, such as Abraham Lincoln, man, he left a legacy. He left a legacy of the Civil War pres, uh, president who ended slavery. Uh, think about the, you know, Henry Ford. He left the legacy of the Model T and the assembly line. Alfred Hitchcock, he left the legacy of being the master of suspense. And Steve Jobs, he left the uh, legacy of creative technology, Apple, you know, iPhone and, and iPads and Macs. And I'm using his legacy right here. <laughs> We're using this legacy around, around this building. But I'll tell you, those types of legacies are nice. They, they really are. They're nice. And I'm not bashing them, but they are career and occupational oriented. Now, this is my opinion. I believe that in American culture, and it is an American thing, that we place way too much um, attention in our lives toward building some type of an occupational legacy. Because then what happens when the company dies? What happens when the product no longer sells? What happens when things turn around and it's not even valuable anymore? Then the legacy is dead. And uh, in many ways, some people have left a name for themselves, but it's, just, it's a name on a product. Others have nothing left because they poured their lives into a legacy of a product or a service that doesn't even exist anymore. And... That's all, that's fine to invest in those things. I think we should, but when your life revolves around that, I believe that's the opposite of what the kingdom of God asks us to do. So I have this bold statement, this bold definition for legacy. Lasting legacy is formed through relationships with those younger than ourselves. I want you to get that down. Relationships with those who are younger than ourselves. It's about people. Um, People who are younger than you, they are watching you. They are watching you. I, I know this as a man. 
I'll be wherever, you know, walking around at a, in a store or a, shop, a shopping place or down the street or wherever, and then often there will be a, there'll be a mom with a little boy. And almost all the time, that little boy will stop and look and watch every move I'm making, everything that I'm doing. Why does he do that? Because in that little boy's mind, he says, someday I might be like that. Should I be like that? I wonder about that. That's, the, what's, that's what's turning in the little boy's mind. Ladies, it's very similar with you, I'm sure. But there's a natural tendency for people who are younger to look to someone who's even a little bit older, even a few years older, to say, wow, what can I learn from them? What can I receive from them? Will I be like that someday? You see, the questions I have to ask you is, who are you discipling? If I were to ask you specifically, who personally are you discipling, could you, could you answer it? Are you, who are you targeting with your love? Who are you intentionally relating to? Who are you sharing time with on your journey? Who are you inviting to just share fun times and, and, and uh, just good times? Who are you inviting to share those times with on your journey? Who are you coaching in the word? Who are you coaching in life skills? That's my question to you. I'm not asking you for an answer, but I want you to think about that. That's a tough one. See, there was a sociological study that, uh, where they asked individuals over the age of 95. So these are just like some old-timers. I mean, old, 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 old-timers. And, and the question was this. If you could live your life over again, what would you do different. So this is an open-ended question. They got a lot of responses back. It wasn't multiple choice or anything like that. So people answered in very unstructured ways. But when they, they began to pull the answers together, all these multiplicity of answers, they found that all the answers dropped into three very clear categories, all of them. And the three categories were summarized this way. And these are in no particular order, but if I could live life over again, I would reflect more. If I could live life over again, I would risk more. And the last one, if I could live life over again, I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. So I challenge you, who are you involved with who will actually carry on aspects of your life that will outlive you? Will your values and your ethics and your passions outlast you? Will, will, will people be in heaven because of you? Well, I would hope so. I would hope so. And I, I want you to be a, cha- I want to challenge you to be a person of generational legacy regardless of your age. So I want us to take a look at the definition for generational legacy. Will you guys put that up on the screen? Uh, generational legacy, this is, this is one of the core values of our church. And, it, and here it is. It says we value, equip, and fuel the potential of the next generation. This is a cornerstone for who we are as a church. So it's not just the church, though. It needs to be in our hearts. It needs to be something we do. We find, find a way to do this somehow. And then it's, it's defined as we go a little further out. It says we have a great responsibility to those who are younger than us. We recognize that there's great potential in the next generation with a huge opportunity for good and evil. They could go in either direction. So what do we do? We choose to bring out the good by discipling, loving, and relating to those who follow us.
And I believe that if we don't do this, the culture of the world will, and it is happening right among us now. We have a responsibility. Now is not the time to shrink back and to be shy about these things. We have an obligation ahead of us. I think the greatest danger for Christians today is that, that Christians are, many Christians, not y'all, but many Christians are just simply living for themselves and they're not investing in anyone who's younger than them. Ian, I want you to come up to the platform. Ian uh, is, is my son. He's, a, he's an individual who I've invested in personally. Come and use my microphone because I don't trust any of the other microphones right now. But, but uh, I want you just to come and, and share as well because uh, I've asked you to join me up here. Not because you're a person that I've invested in personally. Not That's not the reason, but because you said you were willing to help do this. So I want you to join in here. All right, you guys welcome Ian to the platform. Well, thank you so much, Dad, and thank you guys so much. And um, I want to talk about generational legacy because that's close to my heart. Um, I oversee the next generation uh, ministries at this church, children's ministry and youth ministry. Um, and... Because there, there really just was a need, and I, uh, I just was in the position where I could help, and I've not stopped helping. I found that, first off, it was a job, and then now it's become um, a passion of mine, a deep, deep passion of mine. And uh, I've, I've been serving here for almost a decade now, which is crazy, and I recently uh, joined the staff a few years ago, and it's just been amazing. Uh, just to be able to uh, invest in the next generation and to help out wherever I can. Um, and I want to I answer three questions regarding generational legacy today. What is it? Why is it important to me? Why does it matter to me? And how can I equip the next generation? How can I personally do that? We just looked at the uh, definition just a second ago of generational legacy. Our working definition is we value, equip, and fuel the potential of the next generation. What does that mean? What does that mean personally? Let me give you a story. When I was about 12 years old, my dad, just like the rest of my brothers, he said, it's time to go on a man trip. Now, what's, what's a man trip? Well, a man trip was this, this long road trip where we drove to the Grand Canyon and we made several pit stops along the way of camping and uh, listening to the B-52s and the Beach Boys. That was the man trip. It wasn't hyper expensive. We didn't travel across the world. We didn't visit Japan. We didn't buy a condo in, in New York City. We just went on a road trip. And during that time, my dad invested in me. He talked with me. He taught, he taught me about all the things that I needed to know to become a man, not just a man, but a man of God. That is generational legacy. Now, why does it matter to me? How does it, why does it matter to us? I want to, I want to tell you something. Well, I, I guess we all really know that this, this, this culture that we live in right now is different than it was 20 years ago. It's, uh, it's very different. Um, many of you are, uh, have your ears and eyes open to what's going on in the media, how uh, the Disney Corporation have gone outright and saying that they're going out of their way 
to manipulate and brainwash our children. That's scary. That's terrifying. But they're like one of the, the, the few that have actually gone outright to say it. Right? There are plenty that are doing it behind the scenes that have not confessed to it. The goal of the enemy, not the, not the media, this isn't political. It's not. Let's be mature about this. Let's be mature Christians and realize that there is an enemy, and it's not people, but it's the devil. It is the enemy. The enemy uses whatever he can. And right now, I would say his main goal is to attack the next generation, to destroy them, to manipulate them however he can. The goal of the enemy is to cause children to be mentally and spiritually bound to sin even before they can read, write, or make their first friend. And if you don't believe that, then you're not a kid. You're not a kid in these days. I personally have gone through my own personal struggles with just being exposed to media at a young age. Listen, I've got practically perfect parents. And like seriously, but still the enemy found a way to hurt me and to wound me at a very young age. They watched everything that I did. They were there for me with a sword and a shield before I could take up a sword and a shield. But still, I was hurt. I was wounded. Now, our goal, our goal is to not only protect this next generation in this very vulnerable time when they don't even know that there's a a battle to be fought, when they're being attacked before they can even defend themselves. We need to equip them to be able to fight whenever we can't fight for them. And those moments, it may even be just a few minutes whenever your back is turned. You need to equip them so that they can fight these battles for themselves. And one day, if you equip them properly, if you set a solid foundation of identity in Christ in their life, before that happens, before the enemy strikes, then they will say with confidence, just like the psalmist in Psalm uh, 129, verse 2, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. So how do we equip the next generation? How do we equip them? How do we help them? How do we give them a sword and a shield? Well, let's just look at Jesus and see how he did it. Uh, he's, he's a great role model, I'd say. Now, Jesus, he had his 12 disciples, and they weren't necessarily children, but they were the people that he decided he chose and he chose to invest in for years. He took them all across Jerusalem, showing them all the ministries and miracles he was doing, and he had them participate, and uh, they did miracles as well. He taught them how to pray. 
He taught them about God. He invested in them. Jesus didn't just go to these people and say, now go into all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. At the very end, he did that. At the very end, he did that. But after years and years of mentoring, discipleship, teaching, and loving. Now, one of these moments actually is just, it's a a very simple moment, but it's very impactful. This is in John uh, chapter 21, verse 15. I'm starting. And uh, this is after Jesus was, um, it was executed on the cross and uh, he rose from the dead. He had uh, visited his disciples a few times and uh, his disciples were still just not exactly sure what they were supposed to do. And so a few of them went back to the occupation that they were originally doing, which was being fishermen. And uh, the disciples were hanging out together and they were fishing. And as they were fishing, they saw a man on the shore. And this man said, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh, wait, we've seen this before. This is Jesus. And then Peter, he jumped into the water before they could even bring the boat to shore. He jumped into the water, swam to meet Jesus. Because Peter earlier on, had denied that he even knew Jesus. And his, in the most pressing of moments, in the greatest of moments, he denied that he even knew his friend who invested in him and who loved him. And Peter may have been carrying the guilt and the shame that his execution was because of him. That's very possible. It doesn't outright say that, but I probably would feel that way. Now, Jesus did something really interesting and very simple. And this is how Jesus invested in his disciples. He got the fish that they had caught and had breakfast with them. And he made them a meal. He just sat with them. He hung out with them. He invested his time in them. Now, equipping the next generation isn't about a grand speech. It's not about um, leaving them uh, uh, a company. It's not about just saying, going to all the world. Jesus got it right. It's just investing personal time in the next generation. Taking them on a hike. Going to in and out with them. Maybe you cook a meal for them. That's what Jesus did. And Peter, he, uh, he was with Jesus, and they had finished eating. And Jesus, he said something. He said, Simon Peter, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? He said, uh, yeah, yes, Lord, <laughs> you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. But he continued, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Now, if someone said that to me, I'd be kind of hurt, like, yeah, I do. I really do. He said, uh, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. And then a third time he said, do you love me? Do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for a third time. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, that when you were younger, you dressed yourself. And uh, when you were young, you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will take you where you don't want to go. Seems kind of odd for him to say that, but Jesus was indicating the kind of death that Peter would partake in to glorify God. Jesus basically saying that his journey wasn't ending here, that his ministry for Jesus was just beginning. And then he said, follow me. Then he took Peter and he just walked with him one-on-one and just talked with him and invested in him. And he took him away from all the other disciples. We know this because the writer of the book of John, John followed behind them and he watched them, and he was like, oh, I wonder what they're saying. And Jesus was like, oh, don't worry about him. Be intentional with how you spend your time with those who are younger than you. Like I said, it doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be expensive. It can just be breakfast. And it's kind of odd that Jesus asked Peter three times, do you really love me? But how many times did Peter deny that he even knew Jesus? That was three times. In a sense, Jesus was making up for that wrong. He was saying that I saw, I heard, but I forgive. Now let's move on. Now, Jesus, if he uh, never invested in those 12 disciples, if he never invested in those followers, if he never did, I can confidently say that all of Jesus' miracles, all of his signs and wonders, raising the dead, healing the lepers, and even rising from the dead, from, from the cross, all of that would actually be in vain because he would be forgotten so quickly. If Jesus had not invested in his 12 disciples, Jesus would have been forgotten very, very quickly. It would have started and ended when Jesus came to the earth and when Jesus left. But because he invested in these men and women, Jesus, he brought the kingdom of God to Jerusalem And his disciples, when Jesus left, they took it to the ends of the earth. Now, if you want to make a lasting legacy like Jesus, and if you want to equip the next generation not just to defend themselves from the enemy, not to play defense, but to play offense, and to be a spiritual conqueror, just like Jesus' disciples, then really, you just invest in them. You love them. You have breakfast with them. You take them for a hike. And that's the way that you will leave a lasting legacy the Jesus way. Now this charge isn't just for parents. It's for all of us. We're all responsible. God has put someone, at least one person in your life, 
that you can be responsible for and that you can love and that you can invest in just like Jesus so that you can leave a lasting legacy. Dad, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to, uh, to come up here. And uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Good job, Ian. All right, I'm going to wrap this up. I just want to give you your final challenge and uh, figure out what you can do in your home, in your church, in your neighborhood. What are you going to do regarding generational legacy? Now, I think the best thing that you can do right now is to you know, get a piece of paper out, write something down. Because we, I, I've always believed this, nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. If you, when you write something down, it's going to embed it into your brain as well. But uh, write it down, send yourself a text. I mean, uh, send yourself a note or whatever. Find a way to write this down, but what are you going to do with this today? Let's bring it home. Let's, let's be real with this. It's more than just being inspired. It's more than saying, well, this was for somebody else. No, actually, it's, it's for us. It's for all of us. Let me read the definition again, and this definition, let it inspire you. And as it inspires you, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Generational legacy says this. We value, equip, and fuel the potential of the next generation. That's real important. Get that heading right there. Value, equip, and fuel the potential of the next generation. How can you do that? How? With whom? We have a great responsibility to those who are younger than us. We recognize there is great potential in the next generation with a huge opportunity for both good and evil. So what do we do around here is we choose to bring out the good. Here are the methods. By discipling, loving, and relating to those who follow us. Disciple, love, relate to them. For some of you, really, a, a very specific thing to do is to take the next card out This is and uh, just... On the back, there's this says next generation. Maybe there's an area of children or youth ministry that you'd be willing to involve yourself in, maybe even just on a once a month basis. But start somewhere. Start somewhere. It'll take about an extra 30 seconds. Will you just continue to ask God what you should do? And just write it down. Write it down. Write it down or write it on the card and turn it in after the service. As I wrap up today, I want to just um, ask this really important question. Is there anyone here who needs Jesus in their life? You need to make things right with the Lord before you go your way today. You don't know whether you would be in heaven or hell tomorrow if you should perish today.
need to make things right with God. You know you need to give your life to God. And if that's you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. So with everyone in this room, just lock yourself in with the Lord. Just quietly lock yourself in. If that's you, at the count of three, I'm going to give you an opportunity to lift your hand. Just lift it up high for me when I count to three. That way I can see you and connect with you and, and uh, connect my faith with you. And then we're going to pray a prayer. You're going to pray a prayer with me. And the congregation will pray it as well as an encouragement to you to give your life to Jesus. So is that you today? Is today the day of your salvation? Just lift your hand for me. One, two, three. Just lift it up. Lift it high. Thanks. Who else? You put your hand down. Who else? Thanks. Put your hand down. All right. If you lifted your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Come on. Pray it out loud and mean it. Congregation, will you pray it along with those who are making the decision to follow Christ this morning, those who are even online. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming into this world and giving your life for me, a sinner. Today I make the choice to repent of my sin, to turn away from it, and to follow you. Please wash me in your blood and make me a new creation. Today I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.